We're reading first this morning from Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28, verses 15 through 21. And then we'll uh, turn to the book of Revelation, to chapter 21, and to our text uh, for this morning's sermon there. Uh, First, let's give our attention to God's inspired and inerrant word from Exodus chapter 28, beginning at verse 15. This is uh, in we're not reading the broader uh, context here of, of uh, what's going on uh, as Moses communicates these things from the Lord to his people, uh, but this is, uh, we're in the midst of the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle, the materials of the tabernacle, and in particular now, the garments of the priests. Verse 15, you shall make a breast piece of judgment, the work of A skillful workman, like the work of the ephod, you shall make it, of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet material, and fine twisted linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and folded double, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second row a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold filigree. The stone shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, twelve, according to their names, They shall be like engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. Revelation chapter 21, verses 15 to 21 is our text. And we'll begin our reading first in chapter 11 to remind us of a connection to the previous a vision to John there in chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 and 2. Revelation 11, beginning at verse 1, Then there was given to me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations." And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And now Revelation 21, we'll begin our reading here in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke to me saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates were twelve angels, and names were written on 
uh, on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod. Twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh crystallite, uh, chrysolite rather, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please, as we turn to our song of preparation for... The preaching of the word, Psalm 48b in the book of Psalms for singing. again to pray, to seek God's face for his blessing on the preaching and hearing of his word. You indeed, O Lord, are a God, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in your being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You are eternal. Your word is eternal. You have given us this word. And your word is from everlasting to everlasting, even as you, O God, are from everlasting to everlasting. So is your decree, so is your word, so are your almighty ways. And we come to consider your word and your ways, especially as it concerns the church of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider this text 
in the Apocalypse to John, in the Revelation to John, would you be pleased now to grant to us insight and understanding into your holy and eternal word through the eternal spirit himself. Bless its preaching and its hearing through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have been considering this vision of the new creation for a number of weeks now in Revelation chapter 21. In this new creation, John hears the voice of uh, the Lamb and uh, God and the Lamb say, all things are made new. There is a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. The new Jerusalem is mentioned only in passing, really, in uh, the first section of Revelation 21 here, uh, where it's said to come down out of heaven. It's a, a identified as a bride adorned for her husband in whom God dwells. Uh, that God has his dwelling place in the new Jerusalem. But then it's elaborated upon in chapter 21, verse 9, and uh, through verse 22 and verse 5. As the vision proceeds in 21, 9 through 11, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of wrath speaks to John. Again, uh, we have some repetition here to help us identify the new Jerusalem. Again, saying, uh, identifying the new Jerusalem as the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and uh, there's a uh, very Ezekiel-esque uh, aspect of, of the vision here. Uh, the Spirit carries John away, whisks John away uh, to a mountain and shows him the holy city Jerusalem, which uh, again is said to come down out of heaven and to be the dwelling place of God's glory. There's a literal new cosmos in the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. But the point of the vision is to focus on glorified saints as the center of the new order, the new Creation, the bride, the new Jerusalem symbolizes the church in her perfected state in the new heaven and the new earth. In verses 9 to 14, last Lord's Day, we saw that God's glorious presence beautifies the church and establishes her inviolability in the new creation. We noted the church's divine origin. She comes down out of heaven. We notice the church's beauty adorned by God, her, her radiant beauty and her eternal security. The general description of the city 
in verses 9 to 14 with its walls, its gates, its foundations symbolize the sum of all God's people, both Old and New Covenants, gathered together as a new Jerusalem, the church of God of all ages in the new creation. And now in our text this morning, to the general sketch of what we've seen in verses 9 through 14, the vision to John expands. It adds shape. It adds dimension and valuation to the picture of Christ's glorious church. These verses show us the church's immensity and her value. Those are the two things that we'll consider today, the church's immensity and the church's value. First, then, uh, the church's immensity. John now sees that the angel speaking to him has a gold measuring rod for the purpose of measuring the city, its gates, and its walls. Verse 15. Uh, The imagery is taken from Ezekiel's vision of the temple, chapter 40, uh, which is... Uh, where where the, the temple is measured by an angel as Ezekiel himself looks on. We read that passage last Lord's Day in verses 1 through 5, just a, just a portion of uh, this visionary temple uh, that Ezekiel sees in chapters 40 to 42 of Ezekiel's prophecy. That prophecy, that visionary temple in Ezekiel 40 to 42, dramatizes God's assurance to the Jewish exiles in Babylon that God's promise to dwell with them would see a much greater and far more magnificent fulfillment. And that fulfillment comes to focus in the new covenant, in Christ the Word, John 1.14, who is said to dwell, the Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us, or we could translate this, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And then it reaches its consummation in the new Jerusalem, here in Revelation, which needs no separate building to function as its sanctuary for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are, his, are its temple. Chapter 21, verse 22. The dimensions that John reports here in verses 16 and 17 of Revelation 21 dwarfs Ezekiel's temple, showing not only uh, the symbolic nature of the vision, 
but more importantly, the majesty and the immensity, the magnitude of Christ's church in the eyes of heaven, in the eyes of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we read in the vision given to John in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, the activity of, uh, there's the activity of measuring uh, the temple. Uh, there's a, a measurement there uh, of uh, God's temple. John himself is, is directed to, uh, he was given a measuring rod like a staff, and some, someone said, get up and measure the temple. Uh, and interestingly, those who worship in it. So John is measuring the church. He's measuring uh, God's people as he measures it there. But significantly also here is that he's told not to measure the outer court outside the temple. Don't measure it, for it has been given to the nations, for they will tread underfoot the holy city for. 42 months. Now, John has been told to measure the church, and when he's told not to measure the outer court, uh, we're being shown that the, the church will continue to undergo persecution in this age uh, until the new Jerusalem that we've been considering, uh, when, uh, of course, all that threatens the church will disappear. Uh, but he's, uh, he's told to... to, uh, to Where here, the, in chapter 11, uh, the temple area symbolizes its protection from uh, intruders. Um, there's not going to be this measuring uh, of the outer courts, and the church will indeed, uh, though inwardly secure uh, in terms of their spiritual identity in Christ, their union. Uh, with Christ outwardly, uh, there won't be the security afforded to them in the New Jerusalem, uh, in the, the sense of uh, an entirety of protection. Here in chapter 21, the entire city uh, is measured. Now, the entire temple of God, the church, is measured. Another uh, indication of its complete safety from every enemy that threatened it here on earth. Now, no longer in the new Jerusalem, in uh, the, the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, uh, those threats are gone. The dimensions of the city and its walls reinforce the theme of security that we saw in verses 16 and 17. The overall dimensions of the church are 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia, its length, its width, its height are equal. Now, those, uh, those stadias don't, don't really mean anything to us today. In, uh, calculated in physical terms, this would be, I would make the city approximately 1,365 miles wide, 
and long and high. So in terms of its width and length, about half of the United States. In height, 1,360 miles would extend uh, this measurement into the orbit of some man-made satellites. These measurements, uh, of course, as so much of Revelation, are not to be understood physically as physical data, but as enhancing the vision's imagery of the church's immensity and security in the new heaven and the new earth. The number 12,000 recalls uh, the number from each of Israel's 12 tribes who were to be sealed before the winds of judgment would be released back in chapter 7, verses 1 to 8 of uh, Revelation. Uh, We've been reminded of that vision in the mention of the Uh, names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel written on the city gates of uh, the New Jerusalem, chapter 21 and verse 2. The city's in a cubic shape. Dimensionally, uh, the city is a cube with uh, dimensions equal in length, width, and height, and that reproduces the Holy of Holies that house the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and the temple, Exodus 26 and 1 Kings chapter 6. The new Jerusalem needs no separate sanctuary structure since God's presence fills the whole city, making the whole city, the new Jerusalem, the church of Jesus Christ, the holy of holies, chapter 21 and verse 22. Likewise, the size of the wall is conveyed in a multiple of 12, 144 cubits, roughly 216 feet or 72 yards, to reinforce the people of God significance that 12 typically carries throughout Revelation and the rest of uh, the New Testament, uh, 144 uh, being a multiple of 12. Now, Some think the 144 cubits is to be taken as the, the wall's height, other, others as its thickness to uh, represent a, a wall so thick and so high that no invading army could penetrate or scale it. But whatever the case, John's not describing an eternally secure place. An eternally secure city in heaven. He's describing an eternally secure people in the new creation, the new heaven, and the new earth. John first shows us the immensity of the church of Jesus Christ in the eyes of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Secondly, we want to see this morning the church's value. The church's valuation. The church's preciousness in God's sight. Precious stones show us not only the church's impregnable strength and her beauty, but also her value. The wall was made of jasper, like the appearance of the city, chapter 21 and verse 11, and of God himself, chapter 4 and verse 3. And the city is composed, as the street will be in 21, 21, of pure gold, transparent and clear as glass. The gold that John's readers and we uh, are familiar with is lovely, Uh, it's brilliant, it can be highly reflective, but it in no way resembles the transparency of glass. Gold, like the jasper we considered last Lord's Day, is opaque. It's not clear, it's not crystal clear, you can't see through it. Once again, the vision stretches and even breaks our experience, uh, the pattern of our experience, uh, our, our, uh, the norm of our experience, in order to convey the, the precious value and purity that distinguishes the bride church's beauty, holiness, and her worth in the eyes especially of the bridegroom, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The majority of the tabernacle and the temple's furniture was overlaid with pure gold, including the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple, the inner sanctuary, the whole house, and the altar before the inner sanctuary with pure gold so that it outshone the tabernacle in its glory and its splendor. In Revelation, John sees not furniture or a structure where God had promised to dwell among God's people, shining in the brilliance of gold, but the new Jerusalem, God's elect people, who are, we have seen, the temple. God's dwelling place in the new creation outshines both the tabernacle and the temple in their glory and exceed the tabernacle and the, tab- uh, and the temple in uh, their magnificence, in their immensity in their beauty, and in their valuation. John lists for us the 12 foundation stones, one by one, verses 19 to 20. This list, jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonic, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, Chrysophrase, Jason, and Amethyst carries uh, its own 
important message. And as we've seen uh, throughout our exposition of the book of Revelation, uh, the Old Testament is the key. Uh, Understanding the symbology of Revelation is important if we want to understand Revelation. And if we're going to understand the symbols of Revelation, we need to understand uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And here, three Old Testament backgrounds open up uh, this message of the foundation stones, uh, the precious stones that are on the foundation uh, of which, uh, which actually comprise uh, the foundation stones. First, at least eight of the 12 stones are identical to those that adorned the high priest's breastplate at the building of the tabernacle, Exodus 28. We read from that passage this morning. And it's possible that the other four are simply John's translation of the equivalents differing from uh, the Greek Old Testament for those remaining four stones on uh, that high priest's of old uh, on, on his breastplate. Since each of the stones on the high priest's breastplate we read this morning in Exodus 28 bore the name of one of Israel's 12 tribes, the purpose of those gemstones was to symbolize the amazing truth that the high priest, as he went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, represented all of God's people in all of the tribes of Israel. In John's vision, however, the Old Testament shadow has been transformed by its New Testament fulfillment. For as we have seen here in chapter 21, the names written on the foundation stones of this new Jerusalem aren't those of the sons of Israel, but of the Lamb's twelve apostles. Verse 14, God's people now are not defined by descent from Israel, but by their union with Christ, attested to foundationally by the apostles in their gospel witness. Christ, the great high priest, bore all the names of his people, uh, his elect people of all ages, on the breastplate of the cross, the fulfillment of the old covenant day of atonement. And that communicates to us, I hope it communicates to you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one whose name Christ bore on the cross. He bore not only our sins, but he bore our names on the breastplate of the cross. It communicates to us how valuable we are in God's eyes. The church of Jesus Christ is precious. It's highly valued. 
in the eyes of God and His Son and His Spirit. And the church is comprised of individual members. Each and every member of Christ's church is precious in His sight. Exodus 28 opens up what the message of Revelation says concerning these 12 foundation stones made up of these precious stones. Secondly, the gemstones' value and loveliness are reminiscent of the gold, the medallion and onyx of the Garden of Eden before the fall, which Moses describes in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 12. As these stones now beautify the foundations of the New Jerusalem, they mark the New Jerusalem as paradise restored, in which John will see, chapter 22 and verse 2, the tree of life, no longer barred from our access but now bearing fruit that feeds and leaves that heal the nations. Third, precious stones appear as the foundations of Jerusalem in a prophecy of comfort given to suffering Israel in Isaiah 54, verses 11 and 12. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, Behold, I will set your stones in antinomy, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of ruby and your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones. Isaiah's image of precious stones as foundations associated with the city walls is the closest biblical connection to John's vision. Here in Revelation 21, it reminds us that John received these visions to comfort and encourage embattled churches, churches in the first century, to whom seven letters were written, the seven churches of Asia, churches scattered abroad in the first century, and churches in the 21st century and all in between and beyond the 21st century, embattled churches that are storm-tossed, driven about by the waves of affliction and trial and turmoil, not comforted. And here, the vision holds out hope to God's people in our day, in our time, of what will be in the new heaven and the new earth. John gives us a couple more data points here in chapter uh, 21. The 12 gates bearing the names of the Israelite tribes are each composed of a single pearl. It's luminous white enhancing the glory and purity of the church 
verse 21. The city's street, like the city, uh, it said in verse 18, uh, it said here in uh, verse 21, the street is pure gold of infinite value and uh, transparent as glass of infinite purity and radiant with glory. The vision's uh, speaking in visionary symbolism, not about the physical components of a coming metropolis in the new heaven and the new earth, but of the spiritual qualities of God's people, the true identity of the bride, the perfected church of Jesus Christ, which is to be revealed from heaven at Christ's return. And this is a reminder to us not to think of heaven as having pearly gates or uh, as the saints walking on streets of gold as some of the church's hymnody has suggested to us. So many of those hymns uh, carry a a sentimentality uh, about them and fail to see the true message of, of John's revelation. The symbols of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 are descriptive of the church. They're not a, a physical manifestation of a heavenly city. These symbols convey to us the, the radiant beauty, the eternal security, and the preciousness of the Lamb's bride, the church of Jesus Christ. We sang from Psalm 48 this morning. Uh, that was God's providence. I didn't, uh, I didn't arrange the order of worship uh, Elder Huntington did this week. And, uh, but, but he picked up on a theme here as, as, as an introduction to the preaching of the word this morning, and namely uh, uh, the beauty and the glory of Zion. And in that 48th Psalm, God's people are encouraged to walk around Jerusalem and to observe, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers and her ramparts, symbols of the security of God's people. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us until death. And Revelation 21 invites us to walk around the new Jerusalem. To observe its immense walls and gates, its foundation stones, and the precious stones that make up those foundation stones, to see uh, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on its gates, to see the names of the 12 apostles on the foundation stones, 
and to take in this picture of the church's beauty, her eternal security, and her preciousness as the Lamb's bride. She doesn't always look so radiant as a bride does on the day of her wedding. She doesn't always look so glorious here on earth. She doesn't appear now as she will in the new creation. But Revelation 21 shows us that there's no group of people, no entity here on earth more beautiful or more precious in God's eyes than his church. Sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ fill the church of Jesus Christ as we know it. They bring their sin. They bring their weaknesses. They bring their imperfections with them. But the church is cleansed by her, uh, from her impurities by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Jesus looks upon his bride with an infinite, uh, eternal, and unchangeable love. Paul depicts Christ as a husband who cares for his beloved wife. Ephesians 5, verse 25. His love for the church cannot be overstated since he gave his life for the church and purchased it with his own blood. We've noted that God's church, his temple, isn't protected now in the same way in this age as she is in the new creation. Uh, Revelation 11 has shown us that, uh, that the church throughout the ages until uh, the coming of Christ, we'll continue to see a persecution uh, and affliction. We aren't afforded the same security now, uh, since here on earth, uh, we're told that because of our union with Christ, we will suffer with him. But Revelation 21 fills us with a longing and an expectation of what heaven will be. And it's designed for us as a comfort uh, that guides us through the suffering and the trials and the temptations, uh, that, uh, the afflictions that we experience now as, as God's people, as we walk through this world as those who belong to Jesus Christ and who are called to suffer for his name. It fills us with the hope of glory. That's the point of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Glory, Paul says, is coming. Suffering is now. 
Elsewhere, Paul says we suffer only for a little time. Here he says in Romans 8.18, the sufferings of the present time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. And my dear Christians, that's not merely the glory of new perfected souls and new perfected bodies. It's the glory of God indwelling the perfected bride of Christ in heaven. And I don't think we can possibly imagine the radiance and the beauty the loveliness, the magnificence of the church of Jesus Christ in heaven. You take the church here in her best days throughout the history of the church and you try to quantify that And you multiply it exponentially. And you still won't have an idea of what the church of Jesus Christ will be like in heaven. Already inhabited by some of our dear loved ones and family members and friends. Those who have gone before Uh, church triumphant, and we will join them. And there, everything will be glory. Let's pray. Our Father, though our minds here can't uh, can't quite uh, capture all that you say, we pray that you would continue to inform us of the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Uh, And we pray, O Lord, uh, that even though we can't fully comprehend these things, you'd help us to walk by faith. You tell us that we walk by faith, not by sight. Help us to, with the eye of faith, embrace these things, Take comfort, take encouragement uh, in these things. Especially, O Lord, we pray that you would, as we uh, suffer for the sake of Christ here on earth, you would, as the church uh, suffers, in some places, O Lord, so so much uh, more significantly than than we do in, in our nation. We pray, O Lord, that you would give comfort to your people, that those who are tossed on uh, the storms of the sea, who are not uh, comforted, will receive the comfort of your word. And give us hope, O Lord. 
cause us to cast our eye of faith on the hope of glory, the glory that you will reveal at the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.